This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Of his radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week. I'm Blair Andrews. My co-host, as always, is Hassan Rahim. Hassan, how's it going? Uh, you know, Blair, uh, living the dream. Weather's uh, changing <laughs> a little bit. Um, had another great Sunday, uh, at least from a from a, from a scoring standpoint. Uh, you know, so a lot, a lot, a lot happened today. And uh, we're at the quarter mark bowl, so let's get into it, man. Absolutely, yeah. Like you said, a uh, ton of scoring. I think, I don't know if there was a single game that hit the under until the 4 o'clock games today. So, yeah, it was exciting. Um, let's just jump right into it. Item number one, Adrian Peterson rushed 11 times for 36 yards and a touchdown and caught zero of his two targets in the Lions week before loss to the Saints. Peterson is currently cemented atop the Lions depth chart, but he's averaging only 3.4 yards per carry over the last two weeks. So do you think the Lions will use their week five bye to reshuffle the roles? Um, I don't know, but I hope so, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like, 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 like Peterson got a touchdown today and, uh, you know, they use him a little bit in the passing game, uh, they seem to be using a lot of running backs and uh, uh, to the point where they even converted um, Jamal Agnew. I, I don't know if he if he was a running back in college. Uh, I believe he might have been a converted position player. Uh, yeah, he was a wide He was drafted to be a wide receiver and they're using him as a running back. Uh, Peter, so it's Peterson and Swift and carry on Johnson and Jamal Agnew. But, you know. Yeah, but the stars are all here kind of thing right <laughs> um uh, I, I mean i don't know about you but like jamal agnew oh yeah um but i mean to that point this is a bit of a hydride backfield and and uh, you know there were there was enough um people kind of poo-pooing on deandre swift uh, at least as a yeah I mean, this entire week was just people hand-wringing about about deandre swift but he almost matched adrian peterson's uh rushing output on four carries right um uh, what was even better was after that one um horrific uh you know end zone drop that lost them the game in week one it it, you know they're they're still okay with targeting him in in the end zone you know he scored a receiving touchdown today he also got you know four targets got all four for 30 yards fairly shorthanded um so I, I am kind of hopeful that maybe some of the hesitance that comes with you know unleashing deandre swift or at least using him or at least upping his usage a little bit more is because you know they don't want they, they wanted to wait until they you know after the bye week before you know basically making this a two or three man backfield because like this four this this four man thing is not getting it done right um 
DeAndre Swift's continued emergence means that there's going to, there's, you know, there's not as many targets to really go around. Uh, but at this point, uh, I think what really is interesting to me is that they are fairly comfortable using him as a receiver, kind of. And a lot of people have said this, and I mean, heck, even we said this, like when, you know, when we drafted him in the quad all those months ago, uh, was if there's a candidate to be this year's Miles Sanders, it's DeAndre Swift. And much like Sanders, he's putting up these spike weeks, um, or at least strong-ish weeks, not really spike, um, uh, but on, on the strength of receiving alone, which is nice. But, you know, when he gets into that rushing work share, that'd be nice, a little bit nicer to see. Um, so I'm, I am kind of hopeful that the team opts to use their bye week to get Swift more involved uh, following it. So in week six, I'm hoping to see a little bit more of, of Swift. Uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, right? So back in the day when they were um, uh, going back to prospect season with Fant and Hawkinson, like, I, I mean, a lot of people were just like, you know, TJ Hawkinson's the goat or whatever. And like, he's really not doing all that much. He got a touchdown today. He saw four targets, got two for nine yards in a TD um just pathetic uh and then marvin jones was even worse right uh I, my, my my question for you is do you think swift is this like taking a significant chunk of that by leaving nothing else but kenny galladay like what do you think is going on here um it's a good question i don't know i think uh you know most weeks probably stafford throws the ball more than 31 times um so yeah, it's a little concerning that Hawkinson only got four targets and wasn't able to do much with them. You know, it's concerning that, like you said, Agnew got two targets and they're still throwing the ball to Amendola. Even Adrian Peterson got two targets. Uh, somebody named Jason Cabinda got a target. What? You're and, making that up. What on earth? Uh, I'm not. He's, he's a, a, one he's of a the running back. backs that you forgot about. It. Yeah, He's a fullback. Full he doesn't count. Starts with an F, not an R. <laughs> He got a he got a he got a target. Um, so the, it's pretty spread out here. So I don't know that I would say it's necessarily Swift taking these targets away. I mean, obviously you'd hope that that the Lions play a little bit more up tempo, throw a little bit more. You kind of would have expected them to to do that more in this game, but I think they got out to an early fourteen point lead and probably were trying to. We're trying to slow things down deliberately to not let New Orleans get back in it, which obviously didn't work. It worked. It um, worked. They lost. <laughs> I mean, Detroit lost. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the best way to win is to not score I'm, points. There you go. I'm not necessarily reading too much into this target split at this point. I don't think um, I still have. I'm still bullish on Hawkinson. And Swift and Galladay, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really that concerned after this one game. Um, I guess my question, going back to Swift a bit, is should we be kind of a little bit pleased with the way the roles have split out because Peterson insulates Swift from an injury in a way. You know, I mean, Swift today only carried the ball four times, but he was the most targeted back and he also scored the most points, right? 15 fantasy points. So if he's getting the high value touches and Peterson is taking all the carries 
between the 20s or whatever, and even some goal line carries, I guess, then maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing for Swift. What do you think? Uh, I'm with you. I would actually like for them to use Swift just more in the red zone because I would like to get that. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you, right? Like, um, ideally, ideally, that's uh, that's kind of the split that we have going for him. And, and in the event of a of a you know where they decide to shelve Peterson and they decide to either elevate one of you know carry on or whoever Jamal Agnew maybe to that like um, make work role that basically you know takes all the carries between the twenties. I I'm fine with it. Like again, like uh, you know, Swift had that had that hammy issue, and you know, who knows whether or not they want to even like risk you know injury or what have you. But I'm I'm totally fine with it. I mean, people forget, or at least not people, but like you know, there's a handful of there's a contingent who believes that like Miles Sanders beat you know in your mind's eye, you can think Miles Sanders beat like Jordan Howard or whatever like last year, but that wasn't the case. Howard had to go on IR before like they gave. Miles Sanders all the work and even then you know Boston Scott's a good chunk so it's just a matter of mm-hmm. what's up you know I mean yeah just the way yeah I mean that's just the way it's gonna go and so um I'm, I'm with you I, I I think that uh that you know again the most likely candidate uh, out of the, the later rookie running backs not named Edward Zelaire or Jonathan Taylor uh it was definitely a, a you know a clearly swift uh, i'm interested to see what cam makers does um but uh, i mean we won't know until we see him on the field and who knows when that's going to be uh so for now i am kind of hopeful that the detroit backfield sees a bit of a you know break up or reshuffle or what have you when they come out of the bye and i'm kind of hoping that you know detroit gets a little bit more aggressive when they start firing this coaching staff because uh, my god <laughs> Like again, if you do, I mean, like, I mean, like, you would think scoring points is the way to win, but like, apparently that like message didn't filter through. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've got a game after the bye at Jacksonville, which probably they won't need to score a lot, but at Atlanta should be an interesting test. So hopefully, we'll see a little bit more, uh, a little bit more aggression. Oh, I'm kind of hopeful that at Jacksonville is the game where they decide to just turn the backfield over to Swift because after what Mixon did today, I'd be excited to see what Swift does. Like Jacksonville's a pretty nuts spot for a running back. They're not the same team that they be, you know, used to think they were when it comes down to um, uh, uh, when, when it comes down to back what we used to think of the Jaguars. We still kind of, you know, at least I don't know about you, but I should remember the Jags' defense as being just this freakishly strong unit. Even, and like it's just a nightmare even for running backs. That's clearly not the case, right? Like they've given up quite a bit, like across the course of the season. Well, they've lost so many of the of the uh, pieces on defense that made them so strong. So yeah. Robbie Anderson caught eight of eleven targets for ninety-nine yards in the Panthers' Week Four win against the Cardinals. You know this this week was it was shaping up to be a smash spot for road of his favorite DJ Moore, but really it looks like Anderson has emerged as a favorite target for Teddy Bridgewater. You know what are your thoughts on Moore's outlook going forward and this receiver core? So I mean I'm still bullish on Moore. I still think that he's. You know, probably the best. I mean, he's definitely the best receiver in this, on this team, and probably will get more targets going forward from this. I mean, obviously they've shown a uh, well, like they're deliberately uh, working to get Robbie Anderson the ball. I don't know if it's a thing where he's just getting open all the time, or if they're designing a lot of plays for him. But uh, it's definitely been. 
interesting to see his usage and really a, a kind of pleasant surprise there. But I still would, I still am buying more long term and would expect to see him have some some bigger games from here on out. I mean, you know, the nice thing is this this these performances keep lowering his price. Um, you know, across pretty much all formats. So I think now is probably the best time to to buy. That's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I recently traded Robbie Anderson away uh, in a dynasty league, and I thought I was selling high, and I still think I am kind of, although this week definitely has me rethinking that a little bit. Nah, I think I think Robbie is pretty legit, dude. Like, um, like, uh, like, I, like, like, I genuinely think that um, if you want, you know, I mean, uh, Sean had him fairly ranked fairly aggressively towards the end of draft season. I think it just became apparent that uh, Robbie in a pass friendly offense is kind of the way to go. I mean, the guy always had like the makings of an alpha wide receiver, right? Like, we just didn't think of that because he was on the Jets now. Uh, the issue with being on the Jets is, well, you know, I mean, just look at look at how everyone does when they leave the Jets, right? And Robbie Anderson is just the latest um, case study in success after leaving, well, not just New York, but also, you know, Adam Gates and so on and so forth, but also being healthy, right? Like, this is the first time we've seen him healthy for a very, very long time for such a long stretch. Um, so, I mean, do I think DJ Moore is possible? probably the best wide receiver in that in that group uh maybe i don't know man like um like he's uh, he's not like he's kind of commanding the second most targets after robbie but like robbie is really getting a lot of work and i think maybe he's just the guy who kind of clicked with daddy right um you know really uh, which is interesting i do think dj is really good uh they should be bigger and better days for him ahead. Uh, I mean, and you're talking to someone who wrote up, uh, you know, DJ Moore as like the prospect. And I was just so, you know, enthusiastic about him. And I have, and I'm still enthusiastic about him. I'm also a big Robbie Anderson fan. Um, so if, please don't take, if if we, if we play in leagues together and you're thinking of sending me a trade offer for DJ Moore, please do not do that on Blair's advice to buy. <laughs> Because um, because it will be instead rejected, and I'm gonna uh, probably rant to myself a little bit about about just bad offers. But uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at a little bit. I mean, it's 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 fa- what's fascinating to me is that like the Panthers just sort of really smashed <laughs> the Cardinals, right? Like the, like the Cardinals in the horizontal, right? Like they really did a number on them to <laughs> where to where Reggie Bonifon got 10 carries right like um that's mm-hmm. legitimately pathetic for i mean like like uh, like the cardinals were limp through most of the game it was over in the fourth you know you're, you're getting bonifon to assaulting away the game like you're getting chris manhurts you know like you just like I, I think i genuinely don't know what's going on with the cardinals but they're really lucky to be two and two right now Really, really lucky to be two and two right now. And they lost to two very, very soft teams. And they were very lucky to win that in San Francisco against the Niners. Man, to, you know, back to back losses at home to the Lions and then at the Panthers is a very bad look. Um, you know? 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, so this is an interesting sort of difference of perspectives here. It sounds like you're not selling DJ Moore in Dynasty, but maybe would you in Redraft? Um, Genuinely, I don't know, actually. And this is something that... So, like, with Redraft, the trading philosophy that at least that I employ, and I don't play in that many leagues that, that do trades anymore, but the way I used to do it back when, back when I used to write the buy low, um, you know, the the buy low column for Rotoviz in season was I'd always go to the strength of schedule streaming app because you want to be buying guys with like soft stretches and you want to be selling guys with tough stretches. Right. And if you're looking at um, the next four weeks rolling from like weeks five through nine, with the wide receiver position in the strength of schedule streaming app on rotaviz.com, you're getting a look at uh, Carolina who have uh, ostensibly, one of the better wide receivers. Well, I wouldn't even say wide receiver schedules because they've got, so they get Atlanta, which is, you know, a bonanza. And then they get Chicago at New Orleans. They get Atlanta again, then at KC. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what's going on uh, with this because Arizona has, uh, according to this, sorry, not not Arizona, like according to the schedule app, Carolina has one of the tougher uh strength of schedules going forward, which is interesting because I would have thought some of those are, are fairly soft, um, you know, specifically yeah. Atlanta. Um, right. But I, mean, uh, but I, I, I can see why KC is a tough matchup, right? Yeah. And, you know, New Orleans had a pretty good secondary last year. Chicago was pretty, was tough last year, I think. So, you know, looking at kind of what these teams are, now versus what they were at the end of the last season kind of you know makes you a little bit skeptical of the numbers you're seeing in the streaming app but i mean two matchups with atlanta new orleans kc tampa bay in week 10 so i mean these look like games where carolina should have to throw a lot and where you'd expect some high some big scores from their receivers so i think um yeah i mean maybe you should be buying both dj moore and robbie anderson right now yeah uh i think that that's kind of the case i I do think this is a little bit more concentrated of a passing offense it's interesting to see how many targets they're funneling mike davis's way right like like, that's kind of ridiculous they were just like all right we don't have cmc all right mike davis you're cmc now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and maybe right. he's doing like he's not doing as well as CMC could be doing in in this position, but like it's ridiculous to see how much what kind of production they're getting out of Davis right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he definitely doesn't have McCaffrey's efficiency. Like he's not putting, he's not, you know, you can't, you don't expect him to put up forty points or something like you would McCaffrey. But he's getting almost as much opportunity as McCaffrey was, uh, actually more than McCaffrey was to start the season. So. Yeah, that's been that's been interesting to see. It's just like a one-for-one replacement in terms of the touches he's getting. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. While their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. And many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, 
Select your favorite local spot and your food is on its way. Plus, right now our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store with code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, let's uh, get into our game today. We're going to play another game of fantasy, believe it or not. Starting off with Nick Foles, who completed 26 of 42 passes for 249 yards, one touchdown and one interception in the Bears' 1911 Week 4 loss to the Colts. Um, choosing not to believe this one, this was just a terrible game from start to finish. Uh, Foles got all that production on the final in the final few minutes of the game when it was like completely out of out of hand. Just just a pitiful showing for as him as a bear. Quite frankly, uh, they should have gone back to Mr. Bisky in this. Uh, I I don't think um, uh, Foles is role as the starter is as solidified as people think it is like realistically if i was the chicago front office this would have given me a lot of pause to where you'd be rethinking of going back to trubisky um so if you are considering you know if you're in a super flex league and trubisky's on waivers I, i i think that he should definitely be on a roster if only because this is uh, just going to be one of those situations where I can see them going back to Trubisky at some point. I mean, like this, like like those are some really, really empty stats. I mean, he was pathetic when the game was close. He was just af- absolutely god awful. The offense was immovable. It was absolutely just just terrible. Um, and it, it wasn't until like the Colts just stopped trying to play football where he was able, like they were able to do do well. So, um, just one of those do not believe it situations. Malcolm Brown rushed nine times for thirty-seven time, uh, for thirty-seven yards in the Rams' Week Four win against the Giants. He added five catches for nineteen yards. This is a another do not believe for me, and basically, I mean, it comes down to I think just taking uh, Sean McVay at his word when he says they're just going to use a hot hand approach at running back. And you know, last week that was Darrell Henderson. This week it was mostly nobody but kind of Malcolm Brown um and you know whenever Akers comes back that's going to add another uh potential uh you know confounder to this backfield so I think um unless you know as long as there are multiple guys healthy it's going to be hard to really uh play any of these guys with much confidence unfortunately you know I mean we started Darrell Henderson in our quad league, I believe, and got, what, four or five points from him. So, you know, coming off that big game last week, you'd hope for quite a bit more. But uh, unfortunately, that's looking like the way it's going to be with the Rams running backs this year. Stephon Diggs caught six of seven targets for 115 yards in the Bills' week four win over the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, this is just to believe it, right? Like, um, 
one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask and get your thoughts on, like, I mean, like we're seeing digs and like, uh, you know, pass friendly or a pass first offense that like is willing to feature him as like they're, they're, they're right at one. Right. I mean, or like use him all across the formation, something that we didn't really see, like he was marginalized a little bit in Vikings against the Vikings last year. But I wanted to get your thoughts, right? So there's a, there's a whole bunch of people who keep quoting stuff like, you know, wide receivers changing teams or what have you. But like, how relevant do you think some of those studies are? Or do you think that, and like this probably brings in a whole bunch of selection bias and we typically have never really seen or historically haven't seen wide receivers of the caliber of guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Stefan Diggs and Amari Cooper and all these other guys like traded to new teams. Um, and I wonder how much of, of those studies should be considered to be signal or noise. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, as the author of one of those, at least one of those studies. Right, that's why I'm asking you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that there's, uh, it's definitely a skewed sort of sample because, you know, if you're really good at wide receiver, the team you're on is generally going to want to keep you. So uh, there are a lot more guys changing teams who are not good. So it kind of... Uh, kind of biases the sample in that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously you can point to guys who were good and then went to a new team and then struggled like uh, Odell Beckham, who we're going to talk about in a second. But, um, yeah, I mean, what you see with Hopkins and Diggs and there have been a few other guys who have who have been able to change teams and, and even improve. But especially with Diggs, seeing him improve, I mean, it just kind of tells you how many how many different factors play into into you know how a wide receiver performs because uh obviously that offense in minnesota was not doing him any favors and so seeing them him really be uh unleashed in buffalo has been um eye-opening in a way i think he leads the league in receiving yards now so he's kind of finally getting his <laughs> you know kind of finally living up to the potential we've been saying he has for uh, multiple seasons now. So yeah, it's been great. So, I mean, I know you, you, you were the author of, of one of these posts. I mean, you, you probably wrote the seminal post, uh, but, and I think one of the findings might not necessarily have to be like, you know, wide receivers for switching teams. Like you, you probably need like, um, like from a, from a human perspective, we knew Amari Cooper was, good and we know wide receivers need targets to produce so is it so shocking that he was productive when he moved to dallas right uh, is it was it so shocking that Diggs was going to you know basically walk on and be the alpha uh maybe maybe his production could have been better i don't know we, we're, we're never going to know could have been better had like you know the vikings opted to use him we, we, we're not going to know right but like maybe one of the other findings from from your study really is that like being good at wide receiver is a skill that's owned by the wide receiver. It sounds really stupid, right? When, when, when you put it out like <laughs> that, like that blatantly. But like, and this is what ties in pretty well with the next player, which is what we should be like talking about, is that guys who we consider to be elite continue to produce regardless of situation or quarterback. I mean, think about Nuke producing with all those other garbage that he, Dom Savages, and uh, I don't even remember who's, right? Mm-hmm. so maybe like that's more of like a good way to parse together or at least 
figure out or like piece through who we consider to be truly like an elite wide receiver versus a merely good one in Odell Beckham, who hauled in five of eight targets for 81 yards and two scores. He also had a 50 yard touchdown on Cleveland's week went over the Cowboys just to tie it back into our previous conversation. He's been streaky to where you look at your study and be like, well, yeah, this is a guy who changed teams and not doing as well. Whereas the other guys are doing well, you know? So it's, so my question to you really is like, um, like, is that a way to kind of differentiate between the skill set of wide receivers or at least the skill to at least the inherent or in talent that they have? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's tricky because it's not like Beckham had a great quarterback situation in New York either. I think the maybe the big difference is that they just really didn't have many other weapons. Uh, so he, you know, was productive, was, right? Was their offense right? And then coming to Cleveland, he's competing with with uh, Landry. In addition to the fact that Mayfield has not been really that good since Beckham came, even today Beckham has this monster game, and Mayfield is kind of man, he's actually pretty bad. Uh, Landry had the nicest pass of the game, so <laughs> um, yeah. This, I mean, I don't know. In terms of the game, this is one I'm kind of not believing, just because you know, even when we see this performance from Beckham, we don't, it doesn't look sustainable. How does Cleveland score 49 points and Baker Mayfield passes for 165 yards? I mean, you know, that can't happen. Uh, At least it can't happen uh, all that often. There's a lot of weirdness going on in this one too. Dearness Johnson, after Chubb left, like Dearness Johnson came Mm -hmm. on and he was their best running back. Kareem Hunt exploded. Uh, Beckham had that one long rushing touchdown, right? Like there was a lot of weirdness going on here to where, I mean, yeah. I'm kind of with you, right? And and like, that's interesting because Mayfield was a smash prospect, right? Like when he came out and he had a really hot stretch. And I think some of it just came down to uh, their previous GM basically going all in on Beckham, like trading away like cornerstone pieces of their O-line. And then mm-hmm. ever since then, like, I mean, Mayfield wasn't good last last season because it just had, you know, I mean, they, they didn't let that Tampa Bay guy, whatever his name is, call the plays. They had uh, Freddie Kitchens <laughs> right. call the plays, right? Yeah, and like, and like, I, I, mean, like yeah. I mean, like, well, I don't know the name of the OC and like that OC made Munkin. a huge... Oh, Todd Munkin. Yeah, there you go. I mean, like he yeah. made a huge mistake uh, going to Cleveland as their OC because you could have just seen it being a train wreck from a mile away when they made kitchens their their head coach right like 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 maybe monkin assumed that he was going to be promoted to head coach or whatever but like that's not how the browns work they just decide to wholesale uh change dac so they got rid of everyone so um yeah. you know we, we'll never know and 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 that like you know begs the question which is why i wanted to get your thoughts on this is you know maybe maybe some of the signal here is really like the ability to figure out who is technically more talented, at least from a production standpoint, than others, right? Like you can say, like, like, like the film can say whatever it wants to say, but like maybe this is like how it goes. I, I don't know because like maybe it could be Landry. Like Landry is not as explosive mm-hmm. as Beckham, but like, but like maybe you know maybe Beckham is just sort of like, like maybe the comp that Matt Friedman had for Will Fuller all those years ago of him being OBJ is a lot closer than people realize it to be. And OBJ is more like, really, that's like who we should be thinking of of OBJ as, and maybe even a lesser version of someone like Fuller. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in my own sort of analysis, I kind of take something like efficiency, like fantasy points over expected to be, to kind of stand in for talent just because it's sort of a a quick and dirty way to say like, oh, he is consistently producing more than you would expect based on his opportunity. He's probably good. And that's something Beckham excelled at at, at uh, in New York. And then kind of coming to Cleveland, I mean, that offense was just didn't produce any outperformers in terms of fantasy points over expected. So, yeah, I mean, that makes me think it's it's systemic, you know, it's I mean, <laughs> with everything, you can kind of um, a little a little column A, a little column B. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to parse this stuff. Yeah, it is. And I'm just trying to like get discussion going for discussion's sake, because I mean, the, the real work isn't done until the off season, Right. But like, um, mm-hmm. but, but I do think that, that, that there's like new learnings to be had here. Oh, I, you know, and I'm some, I was, you know, really trying to try, trying to figure out what the questions we should be asking are, because that's the hardest part. What questions do we want answered? Right. And, and this is probably lower on the list, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thought experiment, I think. Yeah. Here's a question I want answered. Whether you believe in this performance, Mike Gesicki caught one of three targets for 15 yards in the Dolphins' week four loss to the Seahawks. And this sucks, especially as someone who's like a Penn State fan and just sort of uh, loves Gesicki and, you know, all the other things. But, man, I, I think I think Packerine, like, nailed this, nailed this thing about Mike Gesicki. Like, it's, it, it really stinks, but, like, uh, at, at some point, this is who he is, right? Like he's going to have the spike DE one weeks and he's just going to have these like garbage, terrible, good for nothing weeks. Right. And like, and like DE one, like his ceiling is fairly alluring, but like, we don't really see it all that often. Uh, this is a team that's fairly bereft of, of talent behind Devonte Parker. And I actually want to check and see who else played. I did. I don't know how Preston Williams did, uh, but you know, one you catch were... on three targets for 15 yards. Oh, so both him and Mike Gusecki are the same guy. Great. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So you've got pretty much everyone, including something called a Durham Smythe and, a J- and guys like Jakeem Grant and Matt Breida and Isaiah Ford are producing you. It's not It's not a good look, I think. And to be, <laughs> to be fair, the Seattle Seahawks are good against tight ends. But, uh, I mean, this has kind of been, you know, who Mike Gusecki is, right? Like he was going in the same range as guys like Fanton Hawkinson. And uh, it looks like if you rolled the bones on Kaseki, you were kind of you're, you're drawing very wrong, very very wrong. And I don't believe Fant is lucky because of you know, or like his production this season is going to be the result of the court and the sudden injury. I think he's genuinely very very good. Like he was going to force a lot of work his way anyway. So just wanted to get your thoughts as well. Like I'm I'm kind of buying that this is what we're going to see from Kaseki just these like horrible games where he's going to not not be viable fantasy asset. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the same thing, you know, like Gasicki, is he someone who would be good, like, who would be a lot better on a different team? Is this something, something systemic about Miami, which we know is not an efficient team, and really that showed today. Um, So, I don't know if, you know, maybe when Tua comes uh, you know, when he starts, we'll see a, a new look offense. I mean, think about sort of the difference between when uh, 
Flacco was starting in Baltimore and when Lamar Jackson took over and kind of what that meant for, I mean, not only for Mark Andrews, but for a lot of the guys there. Yeah, so I'd be excited uh, when that happens. But I mean, you know, I mean, Gusecki's kind of been fairly inefficient. For, like, uh, like you just mentioned your how you look at efficiency and like how you use that as like a proxy for talent. He's been fairly inefficient with the volume that he is given. So I don't think that he really is going to be this spectacular, like going to go from from being, you know, one of three targets, 15 yards into like a league winning, like later on pick. I would say you got to hold him and you start him in like strong matchups and hope. But like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just hard enough to find tight ends getting, um, you know, <laughs> targets as it is. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I genuinely don't know if he, he should have ever been, you know, in the same conversation as some of the very talented other you know younger younger tees t higgins got four or seven targets for 77 yards in week four against the jaguars yeah i believe this performance for sure i mean this is the the second week that we've really seen higgins i mean obviously this wasn't as good as what he did last week but still a really solid performance um, I think in a game when Burrow did not look that great. Um, so I think it'll be exciting to see as these two rookies continue to improve what they can, what they can really do. I mean, you know, seven targets, he had only one target fewer than Boyd and had almost as many yards. So, uh, yeah, this gives me a lot of, gives me a lot of, uh, excitement for, T Higgins going forward. Yeah, I mean, Boyd got like seven of his eight targets. Like realistically, all that says to me is they got to start throwing him the ball more. But I'm a I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a noted Boyd guy. Uh they really got to stop targeting AJ Green, dude. <laughs> Five targets, one for three. Like um, toughest of scenes for anyone who was drafting him earlier than Boyd, and even tougher scenes for anyone who draft uh, was doubting him as a buy low. I mean. Um, I'm kind of tired of talking about the Cincinnati receiving core. We've done it now two weeks in a row, but Higgins was very good. His rookie ADP, uh, where he went rookie drafts, a bit of a blind spot because of how early he went in the second round. Um, his list of rookie comps was very solid, uh, very, very, uh, interesting and very excited for his future. Um, I don't, I mean... I don't think he's, I mean, everyone's going to say he's going to eventually emerge and overtake Tyler Boyd, but uh, I don't think so. I mean, like they should work pretty much in concert. Um, and uh, my bold take uh, sitting here in week four is next offseason, Higgins is going to go earlier in ADP in basketball leagues. Boyd will go later and he will outproduce him. Uh, Boyd will, Boyd outproduce, will Higgins. outproduce Higgins. Yeah. Interesting. I can see that. I mean, I can definitely see how as Higgins starts to, you know, as Burrow and Higgins Mm-hmm. kind of get more comfortable then you see this whole offense really uh take a step forward and that is uh good news for boyd for sure yeah and i'm just calling my shot a year early uh i did this <laughs> i did this I, I did this uh last season on uh on fantasy mansion spot in week three where i called terry mclaurin a, a top three uh a selection is going to go in the top in the first 36 picks so i'm doing it with uh, tyler boyd and t higgins adp there you go. All right. Keenan Allen caught eight of twelve targets for sixty-two yards in the Chargers' Week Four loss to the Bucks. Um, I am willing to believe this. So I think I, I think uh, I my my pre-draft eval on on Justin Herbert was way off base. He's he's I think he's for real. Uh, and 
I think he's very good. Um, he is really in the process of just sort of smashing, uh, you know, up. And they kind of soft-ish defenses, but he's done. The offense has really kind of jumped to life when he's been um, under center. Um, you know, just looking through his game logs, he, you know, they, they, they took Kansas City to overtime. He has flirted. Uh, either he stopped 300 yards passing or flirted with it. He was very efficient today, completing 20 or 25 attempts, and he threw three touchdowns. Um, Aaron's went out of his way to actually praise Herbert in the end. He said that this is a very Patrick Mahomes-esque player, which, uh, whoa, slow down with that kind of praise. <laughs> um, but when we had Kevin Cole on the show, he was, uh, you know, it's very unfortunate what happened to Tyrod that allowed Herbert to to, to get the start. But ultimately, um, he seems to be a very good quarterback. And I mean, he's doing this without Mike Williams, mind you who I think is a very, very good wide receiver who would really help him. He's thrown to guys like Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson. Um, you know, that, that Donald Barnum Jr. Got, 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 got in the mix today. But, you know, this is still an offense that is flowing through Keenan Allen. He's got a ridiculous target share ever since um, they went to Justin Herbert. And I expect that to continue as well. So I'm pretty excited uh, to see what Keenan does going forward. Um, Austin Eckler got hurt in this game and I want to say in like the first quarter um, it sounds like he's probably going to miss multiple weeks so uh, what do you expect from this offense without him man I was actually hoping you could you could uh, help me there I think Justin Jackson needs <laughs> to be added everywhere uh, I do think Joshua Kelly will be probably their feature back um, and uh, now with no Austin Eckler, like not having that explosive, just that guy who can like turn anything into a touchdown from anywhere on the field. It's a real shame because I love watching Eckler play. Uh, I, you, I would expect that like Keenan's going to just, you know, flirt, flirt with those incredible wide receiver one numbers high end. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, both on, on Justin Jackson and on, Keenan Allen. I mean, he got 12 targets today uh, on only 25 attempts by Herbert. And I think, you know, him getting at least a 30%, maybe pushing 40% target share with Eckler out is something that would not be at all surprising to see. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, Herbert's looks pretty good. So I think if, if you're getting a guy who's getting that many targets from a solid quarterback in what appears to be a decent offense. You've got to, you've got to buy that all day. Kenyon Drake rushed 13 times for 35 yards in the Cardinals week four loss to the Panthers. I mean, I, yeah, I kind of believe this performance. It wasn't that good. <laughs> um, you know, Kenyon Drake has never been someone I've been all that excited about. Obviously just having, Someone in this Arizona backfield would be exciting. Uh, Drake, of course, uh, he got hurt in the fourth quarter. I don't know exactly what the report on him was, but uh, or what uh, whether he'll miss some games. But um, you know, it was good to see Chase Edmonds getting some more work. He actually scored a touchdown in this game. The really puzzling thing is that. You know, Benjamin still didn't get in the game. Somebody named Jonathan Ward played a few snaps, did not get a carry or a target. Um, 
you know, we have been really hesitant to drop Eno in our quad managed league. Uh, how much longer do you think we can hold on? That's see, that's where it gets troubling. And I actually, you know, we were talking a little bit pre-show, and I, 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 I don't know how long we can hold on. Like I was trying to see if there's any indication that he's hurt or something. There's no news. So I have no idea what to do. <laughs> right. I mean, this is kind of you know this situation now where Drake is either ineffective or gets hurt, which both of which happened today. Uh, these are the kind of situations that you say you're holding Benjamin for because if something happens to Drake, something happens to Edmonds, he has the sort of profile where he could come into the game and take on a big workload and be pretty effective in it. Um, so this is what you're waiting for. But if Arizona is not even going to make him active, then it's uh, a little difficult to see that thesis becoming right. Yeah, it's uh, uh, really, I, I don't know what to do. You know, like, it's just one of those hard things, like, especially if he's, you know, not seeing run at all. Like, 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 uh, like, they're, like they're playing practice squatters over him, but he's still on the 50, active 53 man, but he's inactive on game days. Like, I don't know what to do. So, yeah, yeah I'm going we'll have to have to see what. We'll have to see what the report is on Drake and whether he's going to be playing next week. I think if if Drake is is out, has to miss any time, and we don't see Eno get some significant opportunity, then you know definitely at that point you've got to think. I mean, if if you don't have space, if you need starters, he becomes a potential drop. Unfortunately, yeah, and I don't know how much longer because you don't want to wait till that scenario unfolds so well, i don't know how right. long right so that's the For question sure. lavisca chenault caught five of six targets for 86 yards in week four against the Bengals. yeah this is kind of what you know everyone was hoping for when they played against miami on thursday night so it's, it's it's nice to see that he was able to do it um you know have a big game uh you know uh, good to see DJ Chark get back in there too. With like, uh, you know, he was taking a little bit of flack this uh, this week, and he's you know turned his nine targets into eight catches, ninety five yards, and two TDs. But it's good to see Visca Visca get you know a good chunk of run. Um, they also gave him one handoff, which hey, whatever, that's fine. But realistically, it's nice to see him being used as a wide receiver again, and um, hopefully, this gives them enough enough run. I mean, it's good to see a lot of these guys bounce back and like you know. Conley bounced back a little bit. They, you know, Tyler Eifert was really inefficient. So I hope they start just not giving him targets again. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> well, Eifert, it's of course, got hurt in this game too. So, oh, poor guy. Uh, I... I think he got a concussion. So it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, they, they were throwing his way quite a bit in this game. It'll be really interesting to see whether that even helps Visca a bit more, get some more targets. Ronald Jones rushed 20 times for 111 yards and he caught six of nine targets for 17 yards in the Bucs' week four win over the Chargers. You know, with Leonard Fournette out and LeSean McCoy missing half the game because of an ankle injury, uh, Jones was a feature RB for the Bucs. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Jones's performance on Sunday? Uh, you know, do you think we might see more Keyshawn Vaughn going forward because he did well? Like, what do you, where do you think this backfield goes starting next week? Well, I think uh, this was the performance we were all kind of waiting for from Jones. I mean, we've seen him do this a couple of times before, but, you know, 111 yards and nine 
targets. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't all that great with his nine targets, only 17 receiving yards. But still, seeing him get that kind of uh, target share is obviously encouraging. And I think uh, definitely this is what you were hoping to get if you drafted Jones in like the fifth round or potentially even earlier. Um, and yeah, it was pretty good to see Keyshawn Vaughn in the game. He looked he looked really good on his few targets. So, um, you know, this is the sort of offense where you'd expect that there could be there could be two valuable uh, running backs maybe even in the same week. So if that turns out to be Jones and Vaughn together, then that'll be good news for a lot of my best ball teams for sure. Um, You know, Godwin is still probably going to miss some time. So they've got targets. OJ Howard, unfortunately, maybe tore his Achilles um, today. So, uh, you know, he had six targets before leaving the game. So, there will definitely be some opportunity to go around, and it's looking like both Jones and Vaughn have a good chance to uh, seize at least some of it. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, kind of similar to yours. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Fournette, you know, going forward, especially if he's healthy, when he's healthy, and it'd be interesting to see what they do with Shady, um, because that's the only way we can get, you know, Jones and Vaughn. I, I think this could just be they make they could just be. Um, you know, Vaughn, if he he might earn like a like a higher workload, maybe not necessarily next week, but they might you know see what they have in him a little bit more. He won't be inactive. They probably start using him. So let's see. So it'd be interesting to see how that shakes out uh, next week. Um, so this is definitely an interesting situation, especially because Jones. Uh, you know, you saw nine targets, but six casting six for seventeen. Again, I didn't watch this game. I don't know what was going on on, on any of those targets, so it'll be interesting to, at the very least, follow that um, and see if that like kind of target share continues, especially for as long as Godwin is out, like you said. Uh, Scotty Miller had seven targets, caught five of them for 83 yards and a touchdown. Do you think that he is a legit weapon in this offense for at least as long as Godwin's out? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, they're they're gonna deploy him the way they have been, which is sort of downfield. Like he's pretty, he's a really good. Uh, uh, he's a guy who's definitely siphoning away targets, and he's kind of making a case for himself to be like the third wide receiver. So that's why I'm kind of interested to see what happens. Uh, not only once you know Fournette's back, but also what happens when Scotland's back. So it's you know definitely a valuable backfield that you want pieces of. Uh, so uh, this is a very roundabout way of me saying if Vaughn is on your waivers, you really want to get him. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick completed 29 of 45 passes for 315 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions in the Dolphins' 31-23 Week 4 loss to the Seahawks, adding six carries for 47 yards and a touchdown. The Dolphins are now 1-3, and and it's becoming increasingly clear that Fitzpatrick isn't really helping them win. So when, finally, are we going to see the Dolphins turn signal-caller duties over to Tua? Yeah, we talked about this a little earlier. Um... Should be soon, I hope. Uh, you know, I just, I just, I really do want it to be two a time soon, just because uh, they they're going nowhere fast. Like, like you, you know what you have in Fitz. You're not winning games. Um, now the concern here is, uh, what if you know they want to sort of not start him because you know they're worried about the injury. Uh, maybe they're facing a couple of tough teams. Like, you know, maybe maybe we don't see Tua start on you know because next week they're at the 49ers and they're at the Broncos. But like you have to turn the reins over to this kid at some point. You took him at 104. 
um, uh, you know, it, maybe they are really just bringing him along because of the because of the the hip thing, and 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 the, you know, so beat reporters have like speculated that Fitzpatrick did enough or kept him in the game long enough, uh, you know, versus the Seahawks, and like. To be fair to Fitz, uh, he did pretty well against the Bills and, you know, they just smashed the Jags. And, uh, you know, they were, uh, I mean, the final box score makes the game look a lot closer than it actually was against the Seahawks. Like, uh, he could have had four picks today. uh, And he really didn't do all that much until, like, the final, like, again, Nick Foles-ish stat batting at the end. So, I mean... You know, if you're if you're if you're a a team, and you, you're the coach in the front office of your team that just spent the one hundred four on a quarterback, despite having a respected veteran ahead, um, you know, maybe maybe you should start thinking about it. But at the same time, who knows? Maybe this is kind of similar to what the Chiefs did with Smith and Mahomes. But you know, the the Chiefs are fairly um, aggressive about the fact that they're not moving off of Fitzpatrick. I mean, uh, off of Alex Smith from Mahomes at the time. Um, and they were a playoff bound team. Whereas, you know, my, Miami just earned the one of, you know, like they're not exactly uh, going all that far. Right. So um, why wouldn't you turn the offense over to, to a young quarterback to at least assess what you have, because if he's bad or just doesn't perform as well, this could be like a, you know, Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen situation. I don't know. Like I, you know, like they have to figure it out at some point. And Fitzpatrick's yeah. good enough to to keep you in games and even win them to where you're getting nothing really out of being in this, you know, constant like two or three games under 500 state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all that. And I'm, I'm of the belief that, you know, in general, rookie quarterbacks are going to start earlier than everybody thinks. Uh, that's just kind of the way I always am viewing it. But I don't know. In this case, you know, I mean, Fitzpatrick is sometimes really good, sometimes really bad. I think it would be – it seems like Miami wants to keep using Fitzpatrick the whole season and just do the sort of Mahomes thing that Kansas City did. So I would be surprised, I think – Unless Fitzpatrick has another game where he melts down and throws, you know, you know, three or four interceptions and they go to Tua in the middle of the game. Um, I mean, that's really the only scenario I kind of see them moving off of Fitzpatrick. And I mean, maybe that happens, you know, in week five at San Francisco. That's going to be a tough matchup that Fitzpatrick could definitely struggle in. So it's not like... It's not like that's impossible, um, but I don't think that's what the Miami coaches necessarily want to do, obviously. I think they'd probably like to stick with Fitzpatrick for the rest of the season if they can, um, which is unfortunate because, you know, like we said when we were talking about Gasicki and um, the rest of this offense, it's hard to generate points when you're, you know, even in the game they won, at Jacksonville, um, you know, Gaskin had a good game, I think, but with Fitzpatrick only throwing the ball 20 times, it's hard for even, you know, even in a good game for someone like Gasicki or Preston Williams or anyone to get any uh, anything going. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm afraid it's going to be a long season for people who own pieces of this Miami offense. Yeah, I'm 
I can definitely dig all of that. It's uh, it, it's definitely interesting to see where they're going to go, though. I mean, it's they're fairly down and bereft as well. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of optimistic, and I would hope that like Tua and Jax are fairly, you know, is, you know, does something. But yeah, maybe maybe you know, 2020 is uh, going to be a little bit of a learning year for him. I'm hopeful that he still like we still see him for a few games. Um, I don't think he, anyone's going to sell him to you in even one QB or two QB leagues. So, <laughs> so you, you you might as well forget about that. But um, I am optimistic, at least for his outlook and his future. Sure. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on Apple Podcasts. For Hassan Rahim on Twitter at HRR5010, I'm Blair Andrews at Am I the Real Blair. Thanks for listening.